0: That you are here today. This is a special Sunday here at Southridge, and on this special Sunday, we have kind of a different uh, ceremonial type thing that we're going to do today. And when we think about the precious blood of Jesus Christ, I love that song that was just sung by the worship team Oh, the blood of the Lamb, the precious blood of of Jesus, what a sacrifice that saved my life! Yes, the blood—it is my victory. Is it your victory today, man? I tell you what—we have so much to be thankful for. And and you may notice that there's a table set right here, so I'm just going to have a a meal today while you guys just kind of sit out there and enjoy. I'm just going to fellowship here with myself. I'm kidding. This is actually going to be a really neat thing. Um, this is actually called a seder. Uh, service, and so it basically, it's just in order, and I'll explain that here in just a moment, but you know, I was talking to Jess, one of the worship uh, uh, singers this morning, and her family actually have celebrated the Seder meal. Uh, They're from Jewish descent, so they Uh, actually partake of this and I told her I said wow I I if I if I do anything wrong or if I mess anything up because you're you've done this more than I have but if you do uh, or if you do notice that I do something wrong you can just send an email to Pastor Micaiah at com." now I don't know about you but I did have somebody reply to my email one time he did that but it actually was a really great thing. It was, it was somebody talking about how, what a terrible woman my wife was. and just play, But it was a joke. I mean, they're friends. They were kidding. It was just one of those things. But, and I agreed with her, and I sent it back. I said, I, I'm going to get that. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. You, I'll, I'll make sure that you still. Uh, I, I love my wife. She's wonderful, and I couldn't do anything without her. She's a blessing. Amen? Yeah! All right. Okay, so are you ready to get started this morning? I'm ready to dive in. We've got about 20-something minutes. And you know what the truth is, is that the the the, uh, the Seder table, whenever a person celebrates the Passover, it actually, it's not uncommon that the actual meal itself would take four to six hours. So I hope you've got plenty of time set aside. Um, I hope you ate before you came. Uh, to serve us today, but we're, we're going to uh, celebrate this together and actually the the, the passover is actually going to be celebrated this year Between the dates of march 30th through april 7th and it's a week-long uh celebration and And so when I first uh, when I think about the passover and all that's entitled with that There are a lot of things you, your mind goes back to the to the bible where the israelites were enslaved in egypt and they had been there for 400 years, and they had been beaten and, and literally just slaves to, to build an empire that they themselves would never be a part of or be able to enjoy in that. I mean, if you build something and you want to enjoy it, you don't want to be the person who's not actually getting to partake of all of it. So they're doing all the work but not getting anything for it. And so they were, uh, they were God's people, though. And they were kind of going through a judgment time. But God promised that he would deliver them. And so what God did is he picked a man. His name was Moses. And Moses was called to be able to come to represent the God of heaven and to come before Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh that it was time for him to let God's people go, right? And you know what Pharaoh did? He said, no, and that's no good, right? Now, when you say no to God, that's not always a good thing, right? You could ask Pharaoh, if he could come and talk to you today, he'd say, don't do that. (laughs) He'd say, don't do that. Now, the truth is, is that God uh, had a plan. And sometimes he has to do it his way. And matter of fact, it's always God's way. It's just a matter of whether or not we want to accept it the first time, Right? So I want to take you to the passage of scriptures here this morning. And we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 6, if you have your Bible. And I'm just going to read two verses there. And then we'll jump over to Exodus chapter 12. But if you don't have your Bible, you can look up here on the screens and follow along. And we're going to go through the different ceremonial items on this table. This is a little different service than we normally have, so bear with me. I'm going to try to be a little bit of a rabbi today, okay? I don't have my little outfit but um, but rabbi just simply means a teacher, and I'll try to teach a little bit today. I'm not a great teacher, according to my kids' grades, but I'm I'm gonna try. Okay, um, kidding. All right. So a little bit. Um, so and then uh, so just pay attention. Here we go. All right. Exodus chapter six, verses six through seven. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. What a great promise. That is the first promise that we have here. There's actually going to be four promises that you'll see. The first is, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then the next promise is, I will deliver you. And it seems like that they're very similar, but we'll see why that's a difference. What is the difference between, I will bring you out and I will deliver you? And it says, from slavery to them. And then it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Then let's go to verse 7, and um, it says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Look at that promise. I will take you to be my people. What an amazing promise. Now, there are four promises that are given to us in this passage, and before, you, before us today on this Seder table, And again, Seder just simply means order. There are four different cups that we're going to be discussing today. And these cups um, were actually brought into the, the, uh, the Passover ceremony from the time of the first Passover. And these traditions, by the time Jesus Christ had the Passover or the Last Supper in the upper room, most of these traditions had already been in place through uh through those years uh and you'll see that here in just a minute but let's go now now that we know what God was doing and the story of what he was trying to get Pharaoh to to get to a point where he would let God's people go here's what had happened there were nine plagues that came to Egypt and every time there was a plague he would almost want to let them go but then he would hard, harden his heart and he would say no and he'd just say no, until finally the 10th plague came. And on the 10th plague, it says that there was going to be a death of the firstborn. Now, this is a celebration, right? This is a celebration of what God is doing. But on that first night, this was a little different, in a sense. You've got to put yourself in the position of, of being able to know, because there was a city, uh, a part of where they were in Egypt, called Goshen. And that was the one place that the nine plagues that were affecting all the Egyptians, they were, being, uh, they were having to face the frogs, the lice, and all the different things of the plagues that came on the land. But in Goshen, there was, that was where God's people were, and they were spared of all those. So whenever the frogs would come, they, would, they wouldn't come into Goshen. They'd just be everywhere else. And, the, and when the water turned to blood and all the different things and the plagues, it wouldn't affect the children of Israel. And it was an amazing thing. And it was God's way of communicating to Pharaoh, hey, that's my people. Don't mess with my people. And they were protected. Now, on the 10th plague, they were not protected. Okay? Now, this is going to be kind of where we first start seeing Jesus, I believe, coming into the ceremonial style. Because on that, that night, they were commanded and I, let me just read the scripture. How's that sound? The Bible tells it better than I can, okay? Here we go. And you can look up on the screens. Exodus 12:5 through 8. Here's the story. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you depending on the wealth of the family, if they had, you know, whatever they could afford, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they did eat. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat. Now we'll see the bitter herbs a little bit later and we'll also see the unleavened bread a little bit later. By the way, if you haven't yet got a cup or the unleavened bread while I'm telling this part of the story, this would be a great time for you to get up and go grab it and come back to your seat. I'll just keep going on with the introductory, but if you see anybody, you can raise your hand. They'll bring you one or two or whatever we need, okay? All right, great. Now, so here's the deal. So that night, they're gonna talk about a celebration. Well, this is the first time. For me, when I was a kid and we would have communion, I always thought it was really neat because I thought, oh, man, I get the drink out of this little bitty cup, and I get to have this little piece of bread. It's kind of kind of fun. It was like, man, it didn't really mean that much to me. But there's a whole story behind it. And, there's a, there's, and this, is that, that, this is the one that represents, but there's, there's all these other cups that we're gonna talk about too. Okay, so, so in order for them to be spared, they had to have the blood applied on the doorpost and on the lentil. Some believe that that was the first sign of Jesus Christ being able to stretch his arms out and you see the blood of his head and his arms stretched out. And it's a symbol of Jesus being there. And so if you did not place the blood and if you did not follow this, these, this order, then that night when the angel of death would come flying over the, the land, then the firstborn of that family would die. Anybody here the firstborn in your family? Ooh, we'd have a lot of funerals here today if your family didn't do it. Man, isn't that scary? But yet the children of Israel... Had all the confidence they had seen God perform nine different times the great great miracles that He had done and saw the suffering of the Egyptians and I don't think even though they were slave they were in there saying <laughs> look at them suffering <laughs> no they weren't doing that and we'll see that a little bit later but the but the thing is is they had to put that blood on the posts and the doorposts and then you'd hear the wailing and the crying out and in that night while they're in there celebrating and having supper and you, I don't know if you've Ever uh, listened to like Jewish music and stuff? It's really happy. It's like duh, 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 You know, it's kind of has that that really happy thing going, right? You didn't know I could dance, did you? It's amazing. I'm sorry. I'll try. Let's go. Let's bring it back to a spiritual moment. Anyway, I was filled with the Spirit. So the um, so they would then uh, be able to celebrate inside. And even though there was, I think if you were a child that night and you'd listen and you'd hear the wailing and crying, you'd say, oh my goodness, what is going on out there? But Jesus is that symbol. And we're gonna see some of the things that God did through this today. And this is the command. So I won't go into all the details, but in a, and I wanna try to summarize for time's sake what, what happened here. So here we have the, the Seder table. And the Seder simply means order. It's just everything that is, in, is done here on this table has an order, and it has a plan. And this is how the Jewish families would celebrate the, the Passover. And so in order to get ready for the Passover, there was a lot of preparation, Okay somebody had to clean the house. In the spring, they had to get the house super clean before the meal would come in. It's like, it's a natural spring cleaning. Well, the woman of the house was commanded to clean the house and make it scour from head to toe. And just, I mean, roof to floor, not head to toe. That'd be you, I mean, the house, you know, right? So, so then she would clean the house and then the man of the house would have to come and inspect it and make sure that it was clean. And so the, um, so what the... Sometimes, you know, if, it's, if the woman has to do all the work and the guy's coming in and it's like, hmm, I don't know if this is clean or not, you know, it's not a really good, te- you know, uh, formula for success, right? So the, the, the guys got together and they said, you know what, how can we do this without offending our wives and, but yet also fulfill God's command? And so what they would do, and, they, and this is still a tradition, is they would take the leaven out of the house and they would clean it and the leaven would be anything that, is not unleavened, okay? And so that means if you have like Twinkies and all the things that go with that, all that good stuff that that you wish you could eat all the time, that kind of stuff has to go and you replace it with unleavened items like this unleavened matzah, it's bread okay and this is what they would eat and it symbolizes something here but anyway so the, the wife would clean the house and she would get everything and she would leave a little bit of that leaven in a spot where the husband could be able to find it really easily and if he's if she's really nice to him she'll put it in the same place every year so he has to you know spend a lot of time you know going to search for it so he finds a little piece of leaven and he'll take a feather as a symbol of cleaning and he'd pick it in a little wooden spoon and he'd rake that that little pieces of of leaven and he'll take it like that and he'll wrap it in a linen cloth and then he'll take that to the jewish synagogue and in it where the synagogue is there would be a bonfire outside and he would take that dirt or so to speak and he would cast it into the fire and it would burn up and so that then he would pronounce his home clean and that would then be uh, kind of an entryway to be able to say our house is ready for us to partake of Passover. Now, there's a lot of symbolism here, but I wonder how many of us are ready today for us to actually have a feast with Jesus Christ himself. How many of us are ready and prepared? Do we have ourselves clean? Have we done a cleaning from head to toe and heart and cleansed our hearts so that we can have communion with God? Well, then, now that that is done, the wife has to. Um, she's done that, and so they want to let her have a little bit of a, a special part of the ceremony. So what she does is she has the lighting of the candles, and and so we'll see that here in just a second. But what she would do is she would she would go and uh, and and uh, it's called the. The Hagada. there's a book, and I don't see, I think it's the lower left one here uh, that you can see in the picture, but she has a Haggadah, and the Haggadah basically is a story that she would read from, and it has pictures and illustrations, and she would talk about all the things of the Passover, and then she would basically read a prayer, and um, as she would light the candles at this time, and then she would uh, bring light to the table. And the prayer she would say is blessed art thou Lord our God king of the universe who sanctified us by the commandments and commanded us to light the lights of the Passover. Then we see here that it's an amazing thing because isn't it appropriate that maybe a woman would be able to be the one who would bring light to the table. Now the Bible tells us a little about of another woman who brought light into this world, and in the prophet Isaiah declared it in Isaiah seven fourteen. He said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. And then in Luke two thirty-two, the Bible says, A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. So the light that was represented, I believe, that as brought to us even though Jesus Christ had not even uh, at this point he's not even in the picture at all. This is God's fulfillment. God's promising and fulfilling his four promises and Jesus Christ is already all in this thing. And so as she lights the candles it represents the I believe the the virgin birth of a savior who brought would bring light into this world. And what a neat way to be able to start the actual Passover. And so then the the man of the house would come and he would wash his hands in a in a in a dish and then a ceremonial wash his hands and and he would uh take take that and then he'd dry his hands and clean it and then they will begin to uh introduce at this point the first cup that we will come to uh here today and it is called kiddush or the cup of sanctification it's this very cup right here all right, and so this is the same one they had 3,500 years ago. I went and, I'm just kidding. So this is the cup of sanctification. I'm glad you're listening. Uh, but, and there's something special about the cup of sanctification. Uh, the, 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 the father of the home would read a prayer as he lifts that up, and he says, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And as we read in Exodus 6, 6, he says, I will bring you out. And I will bring you out of bondage into a world of freedom. And so that's what God wants us to be able to experience today. He wants us to understand that from the very beginning, he promised his people the opportunity to no longer be slaves, to no longer be in bondage, to no longer have to be able to worry about having to serve someone other than the king of kings and lord of lords because we serve a mighty god in heaven and so we serve that god and that god is the god who gives us the cup of sanctification we've been removed from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light god promises me salvation that's how he brings us out god promises that he will save me and bring me out of a life of sin and bondage and then we see that uh, after that the um, we have the beginning of Uh, The ceremony so but before we do I want us to just take a brief moment as you have your cup there We're going to celebrate the fact that god has brought us out and given us so great salvation shall we partake of our first drink All right And all god's people said Amen, that's great So now we come to the second part of the ceremony and basically it's kind of like the um. Uh, what do you call it? What's the uh, the hors d'oeuvre, so to speak, of the meal? Right. And so this is the area. This is actually called a this is a seder table, and this is a seder plate. Okay. Now it looks like it's kind of a plate for hard-boiled eggs, right? And uh, but it's actually a ceremonial plate, and it talks about different uh, specific elements that are partake uh, that they partake of during the beginning portion of the Passover and it's there for a purpose. So the first thing that we come to on the Seder plate, uh, let me just kind of go through those real quick here. The first one is carpus, okay? And that basically is what we would call today parsley. And parsley is green, and it is full of life, and it represents the life that the Israelites had, but yet they were in bondage, and they had so much that they had to struggle with while they were there but God's people God wanted them to have life and God wanted them to have freedom but they had to go through a time of suffering and so there would be a a bowl and it's full of salt water and at the beginning they will take that that uh, carpus and they will dip it into the salt water and it represents the tears of Israel while they were in bondage and they would partake of that and that would be the first uh opportunity for them to remember the tears of sorrow but it also brings to mind that there was a a sea called the red sea that that jesus all right that god himself when moses came to the the area there and he got to the water do you remember some salty water there that was parted and allowed the children of israel to be able to go through and then it came in on the, the the armies of pharaoh that is how they remember the goodness of God who brought them through the salty sea to bring them victory. And that is a, that is a victory that they can rejoice together in. Then the next thing is the marar. And that's the bitter herbs that, that we talk, read about in Exodus. And so that bitter herb is actually something that we would call today good old fashioned horseradish. And, um, and so let me tell you something. If you don't think, you know, if you don't think you could have tears, try eating some horseradish let me tell you something i've got some here if anybody wants to come up and celebrate with us the tears and sorrow that they fought through this is actually what they would do and the 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 leader of the ceremony the 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 head of the household would take that unleavened bread and they would all partake and then immediately it changes the whole tone of the of the ceremony i mean at that point everybody's just oh, oh. i mean it's just one of those what is that stuff, Wesley, I gave you that time from the uh, from sushi place? Wasabi, that's it. I tasted some of that, and I mean, it's, it's basically horseradish, is what it is, I think. And so I pretended and told him, you know, it was some kind of good little sauce or whatever. He put it in, and man, he, went, nah! he started screaming and hollering. I was laughing. I was like, you know, that's how the Israelites felt when they were going to, I'm just kidding. So this is the second second ordinance there. And they, they do that to remember the tears and the sorrow. And that's an easy way for us to do that. And he would say, blessed art thou, o Lord God, king of the universe, who brings forth the bread of the earth. And, and they would partake. And then you got charoset. Charoset is the is the, uh, the next herb. And that's the... Kind of one probably down here in the bottom, and it's kind of an apple cinnamony, yummy thing. And it represents, it kind of looks like the mortar, is what they uh, assume that they used to make to build the bricks and so forth in Egypt. And after eating that horseradish and your tears are crying, one of the things that they will do then is they'll take that mortar and they'll take that and they'll dip that into a, a piece of unleavened bread and they'll partake of that. And then all of a sudden, now your mouth is full of that sweet aroma, cinnamon and yummy. And then it starts your memory. It's like, man, what a great God we have to be able to bring us from our sorrows into the sweet, glorious life of living in his presence. And so those are the three main ones. And then there's other two that, that aren't eaten, but they're, or I'm sorry, the, the fourth one isn't uh, eaten, but it's displayed. And, um, and so that is the uh, Hasaret. And Hasaret is basically the bitter root, the actual root itself that the horseradish is made of. And it's just saying that life in and of itself is bitter, it's rough and we are all face the bitterness of life. And then the final thing is the hagiga, and that is a roasted hard-boiled egg, and it basically represents a time when they used to be able to have the sacrifice, uh, and it was also the title given to the lamb that was sacrificed in the temple uh, at that time, and the temple was destroyed in 70 AD by Titus and and uh, the Romans who came in and tore it down, and they, they Um, They'll take that hard boiled egg and they'll break it up and they'll slice it into little slices and dip it into the water as well. And they'll remember the sorrow that they no longer have a place where they have a sacrifice. But let me tell you something. The good news is, is that they don't have to if you see Jesus in this, because we believe that the final sacrifice has already been made. And Jesus Christ is that sacrifice who died on the cross for our sins. Okay, so that gets us through the the hors d'oeuvres. And then now we go to the second cup the second cup is the cup of deliverance you say well what's the difference between the cup of deliverance and the cup that was actually there we started with well god brings you out of egypt but sometimes he has to get the egypt out of you and so there's a transformation that takes place and so this is a time when we as ourselves we can look at to the spiritual side of things and say you know what we need to get egypt out of us and the this is also a cup that represents the plagues and the sorrow that they faced. And instead of drinking this right away, what the, the um, leader of the home would do is he would dip his finger. Because a full cup represents the joy, a fullness of joy. And he would take the, his finger and dip out and em- begin to empty the cup of blood, hell, locusts, frogs, lice, flies, pestilence. All the way through to the death of the firstborn. And that joy and that sorrow, it shows that they had compassion on those. We don't like to see anybody suffering, but he would see that suffering that they would have. But that's called the cup of deliverance. And we're thankful that God can take the Egypt out of us. And let's go ahead and partake of the second cup at this time. Quickly then, the the meal is eaten, and then they... They come to a part of, after the supper, the leader of the home will take a, a matzah tosh. And a matzotash is basically a pouch or a bag. Matzah is unleavened bread. The tosh the, the means bag. And, they, and inside that, there are three different compartments. There's a piece of bread on the top, and then there's a piece of bread on the bottom. But they only take out the middle piece. Now, they believe that there are, this represents a trinity of some type. And the Trinity, I believe, I know what the Trinity is, but they believe that there may be a symbol of the patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or maybe it could be the, the sign of Israel and worship, and the, it's, it's basically of Israel and the Levites and God's people. But we believe... And I believe it's why they only take the centerpiece. If you ask a, a rabbi now, why do they leave the first piece, the top piece and the bottom piece? And they'll say, I don't know. I really don't know. It's just tradition. Well, it's because I believe that this was a special part of the ceremony. And the, the head of the home would take that piece of bread and he would break it in two and he would take the portion of the bread that was not going to be eaten and he'll wrap it into a cloth, and in this cloth, he will, um, he will call it the afikoman. And basically, that afikoman that's wrapped in linen is taken and it's buried into a place where nobody knows, and it, and afikoman means come, come back later. And so, are you following me here? So there was somebody, I believe, who that afikoman represents, it was taken it was buried it was wrapped in a linen cloth and so they would take the bread now this is the portion of the service that we usually see in our communion service we usually don't see the first and second cup and we usually don't even see the last cup but this is the cup that we see and we see that it was jesus christ's body and i want you to notice the bread that you have this morning and this is why I believe that it represents the Afikoman as Jesus Christ himself is because you'll notice that Jesus was pierced in his body. He was without sin and he was unleavened because leaven symbolized sin. And we also see that it was burnt on an on a oven and it gave it stripes. And these stripes represent the stripes of Jesus as he was beaten on a cross and by the cat of nine tails. We serve a God today that has given His Son, Jesus Christ, His body, His perfect sacrifice, the Lamb, is who is represented here. And then a child, after the supper, is sent to go find the Afikomen. And, and if he comes back and he finds it, he's given a little little prize, maybe a dollar or five dollars or whatever it is. And they're excited about it, and they found it. It's exciting. And they open it up, and this is the portion where I believe we see Jesus in the upper room. And he said, after they subbed, they took bread and gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Shall we take the bread this morning and shall we break it and shall we remember our precious Savior? The Afikoman, if you will, the one who was buried wrapped in linen, and was brought back and lives forever. Shall we partake of his body this morning and remember? And then it says, He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of my sins. Then they would take the third cup, and this is called the cup of redemption. Cup of redemption. We sing many times in the past an old hymn, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It, Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb. Today, we partake again for the third cup, and we give our praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the blood that he shed for us on the cross. There was another cup. The last cup. Wow. If you've got sanctified and you've got delivered and you've got redeemed, then I bet there's a there's probably a cup that ought to be called praise. Hallelujah, right? Jesus Christ himself has given himself for our sins and he shed his blood. So that you don't have to pay the sacrifice. No longer does a lamb have to be slain. Matter of fact, they won't even use a lamb anymore during the supper. They can't use it anymore because of that. You know why? They don't know why that's not. But I know why. Because the lamb, the perfect lamb of God has been slain and he lives forever. There's no need to sacrifice a lamb anymore. Amen? Amen. And then finally, there's one last cup that I don't have on the table. And it's called the cup of Elijah. And it's tradition that there's a table, a plate set at the table, and it's an empty plate. There'll be a chair. No one drinks of the cup. No one sits at the place. And it's designed to invite Elijah because, you see, sadly, even though Jesus is all throughout the Passover, he is so many times overlooked, and, and they still are searching for a Savior. Hard to believe that when you have the Seder in front of you. But the tradition is, is that a child will be sent to the front door, they'll open the door and they'll sing a praise and they'll sing a song and it basically just says, oh Elijah, oh Elijah, come and bring with you Messiah that we may be able to um, have our new kingdom and and be able to have our people be able to rejoice. Yes, sadly... Though they wait for the door, no one comes. Because the Savior has already paid the price. You may have an empty spot at your table today. Maybe there's an empty spot in your heart. Maybe there's a chance that you've been crying out and saying, I don't know what I'm missing. All I know is that I'm opening my arms and God, I I need something to fill me. And God says, I've already taken care of it. It's already done. It's Jesus. It's my son. All you have to do is call on him and ask him for salvation. His grace is sufficient. His grace is all we need this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your heads together. And I want to ask you to search your heart. Whatever decision God has spoken to you about today, rather it be just cleaning up the stuff getting rid of the leaven, getting rid of all the things that you struggle with,